I don't know what that means, but I'm here, I'm there, I'm everywhere. So, yes, I guess I'm ready to gobble, gobble. Got to gobble down the bullshit. Oh, Um, yes. Because there's a lot of it. A shit ton, if I may. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want to start with... Yes. I mentioned this on one of our shows the other day. I've mentioned it on a few of my shows, but i got to talk about it here because this is the main place for it. My favourite. Uh, of all of the bullshit that I've read in the last month, <laughs> this is without a doubt, right? My favorite. Um, I want to stand up in the camera and show you this wet patch on the front of my pants. Wow, um, a little higher, a little higher. Hmm. Okay, now tug on it, tug. T- yeah, okay, I see. I want to assure yeah. you that it's that that's actually cafe latte that I spilled on myself. I thought it was only on my shirt, but uh, it got on my pants too. Apparently, is that what the um, kids are calling it nowadays? Look at my <laughs> cafe latte. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I digress. This was my favourite bullshit story uh, in the last month or so. This was in the right. Australian Financial Review, which is sort of our financial newspaper, the equivalent of the Wall Street Journal, not owned by the Murdochs, though. But um, it was a story ostensibly about right. our current Labor Prime Minister. Uh, the Labor Party for <laughs> Americans is our equivalent of the Democrats, supposedly right. our left major party, but really centre-right major party. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Prime Minister is a guy called uh, Anthony Albanese, but that's too hard to say, so yes. Aussies just call him Albo. Not even yeah. uh, Prime Minister, PM Albo. It's just Albo. He's just Albo. Everyone refers okay. to him as Albo. Albo. Yeah, like our, our former Prime prime Minister, the um, Hillsong fan, uh, Scott Morrison, was just known as ScoMo. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't have to abbreviate just, both yeah. names to come up with something cute for Albanese. It's just Albo. Anyway. Albo. Albo. With respect. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, a few weeks ago, your prime minister, Sleepy Joe Biden, uh, was supposed to come down to Australia for a meeting of the Quad. Right. uh, Which watchers of succession will know as the the, uh, siblings plus Greg, I think. You're going to get Greg in there. Final episode of Succession this week. It was really. For, I don't think you watched Succession, do you? I, I've started it, but I've got a long way to go because everybody, uh, can, yo, you gotta watch it. So now yeah, I'm watching it due to do. peer pressure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. good. <laughs> you do everything in your life due to peer pressure, don't you? <laughs> Pretty much. 
really much. fucking good uh, ending, I thought. But anyway, cool. um, Look, Sleepy Joe Biden was supposed to come down here, uh, stumbly Biden, as he is today after falling over on stage at some Air Force thing. Hey, things Stumbles, getting away. Yeah, 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 St- yeah, yeah. Stumbles was supposed to come down here for a quad <laughs> meeting. Uh, pulled out. Um, right, as you do. Which uh, sadly your father didn't um, <laughs> wow. at the last minute because wow. of the U.S. debt ceiling right. negotiations. Yes, uh, which shouldn't but, even so, exist. But Go then ahead. he went to Japan for the G7 meeting a few days later, and mm-hmm. Albo caught up with him there. Now, in the Financial Review, right. there's this story talking about how the G7 Leaders Summit focused on condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine. A message right. emphasized by the president, uh, presence of President Vladimir Zelensky and right. tackling China's economic and military coercion. Um, apparently, the G7 not very happy about China using economic coercion to get <gasps> countries Gasp. around the world to... Um, do their bidding. Uh, well, yeah, do its bidding or at least to be friendly to it uh, right. as part of right. the Belt and Road Initiative. Economic coercion, bad, Ray. Uh, bad. Economic coercion from China, bad. The same, yes. the very same article. Yeah. Um, in the actual fucking headline, nonetheless, <laughs> is this. In a story that says China's economic coercion, bad, this is, the headline is Australia to get a bigger slice of IRA billions. Now, that's not the um, uh, Irish Revolutionary Army, no, unfortunately. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> it, it is. The uh, sub headline is uh, Australian mining and energy companies could get expanded access to billions of dollars worth of subsidies from right. US President Joe Biden's signature Inflation Reduction Act under deals to grant special status to the country's defence manufacturing and critical minerals industries. Mm. So the same fucking article that says economic coercion (laughs) from China bad literally leads with Australia is excited to be getting economic coercion from the United States. Yes. I think you'll – I think – yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, ahead, sir. No, no. Go ahead, go ahead. I I think we can all agree that the American teat, if you will, is much sweeter – than the Chinese teats. No, uh, when you when you get something from America like that, and you're Australia, it's a bonus. It's a win. It's a good thing. When China does it to other countries, it's damn near evil. But yeah, but it's all relative, right? It's the same exact thing, just the other side of the coin. Like my favorite story uh, a year ago, right? Where, where there were two stories that ran side by side in the media. I think it was like in the ABC teats. here. Two teats, right? yeah. One story was um, there's there's no legitimate reason for Russia to invade Ukraine. Ukraine Not is one. a sovereign nation and it can do yes. whatever it wants. If it wants to do a deal with NATO or the United States, yeah. it can do yeah. that because yeah. it's a sovereign nation and Russia has no business telling a sovereign nation what deals with other countries it can and can't do. Preach. Almost next to it was another story instead of <laughs> If the Solomon Islands go ahead with doing a deal with China, America right. does not rule out the option that it may invade the Solomon Islands. Okay. Uh, I, I but didn't at least, finish my but, analogy. But, but at least then, like a year ago, they were still putting right. these stories somewhat side by side. 
They're yeah. assuming, okay, listen, if, if Billy Bloggs, uh, one of our loyal readers, reads one story, they're probably not going to read the other story and pick up the hypocrisy in right. that. They're going to go, oh, they're just going to go straight past them. They're not going to pick it up. Now they're, they're so bold, they're putting it in the same fucking story. They economic coercion from China, bad. Economic coercion from America, uh, <laughs> good. And not to mention the fact that they were holding this G7 meeting in Hiroshima, of all places. Right. Um, Russia, Russia bad for attacking this country. Um, by the way, hey, come and look at this place that we nuked, uh, <laughs> and have never apologized for nuking, right? Anyway, um, I didn't, fi- I didn't finish my analogy. The teats are lopsided, one is better than the other, one is higher than the other. I'm, I'm sorry, I should have finished that, but uh, no, uh, but, but <laughs> you know how it is. I mean, the Cold War, baby. Uh, <laughs> America is just coming home to roost. We don't really, I don't think we know anything other than do it our way. And if we have to, we'll either slap you with $100 bills or we'll drop a bomb on you. I, I, because of the Cold War, and I'm not blaming the Cold War, but I'm saying because of the Cold War, America has basically two ways of operating and we don't know anything else. And I don't think we can see any other country as our equal, again, because of certain events in the Cold War. But um, yeah, it's all complete bullshit and everybody's lying all the time. But the fact that they're putting it in the same newspaper, in the same article, maybe they just don't feel like they have to hide it anymore. I was talking to Tony Coniston about this. He's a smart fella. And yeah, I said, for do, you, do you think, <laughs> do you think they, the, the writers of the article and the, the editors, uh, journalists and the editors are just thinking, they didn't catch um, it. Fuck it. No yeah. one's who gives a fuck. fuck. No one's going to notice. Yeah. He said, yeah. I don't think, he said, and I, I think he's right. He said, I don't think they notice the hypocrisy in that. I think it goes over not, their own heads. It's not to them. Money from America, no matter what, why, is a good thing. And you're talking, we get access to maybe potentially millions or billions of dollars. How can that not be a good thing? Um, mm. it's just, it's already baked in. I, th- I think Tony uh, is right. I think it's already baked in. They don't see it as bad. So they don't like, Ooh, maybe we should put that in a different, you know, no, to them, it's the price of doing business. I mean, it's completely normal. Not to mention the fact that, you know, uh, in the last couple of years, all of our, uh, diplomats have been going cap in hand to China <laughs> Right. Begging them to buy more of our natural resources, um, uh, because right. when Scott Morrison decided that uh, jumping on the Donald Trump bandwagon was probably a good thing to do, <laughs> and uh, after COVID broke out, and he said, "I think we need an investigation to what really happened in the COVID labs in China." Right. Um, China got a little bit pissy about that and said, "You know what? We're not going to buy any of your shit anymore." Right. Um, and so diplomats and um, government officials have been trying to undo that damage for the last few years. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're econ- China's economic coercion, bad, but please, you know, buy more of our stuff. Um, <laughs> please, sir, can I have another? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. Anyway, yeah. enough about that. It's just, it's when you see these stories uh, and the hypocrisy is just so plain and no right. one's batting an eyelid, it just, just tickles me. I shake my head yeah. and I have a, I have a giggle. Um, <laughs> speak Well, if you want to speak about America's uh, modus operandi, ha- have you right. watched any of the Oliver Stone, Vladimir Putin interview series yet? 
No, no. Tell me more about it. Because you said it was like several hours long uh, and I forgot popcorn that night. But no, I haven't got around to that. It's four episodes. Um, Four episodes. There we go. Interviews were done between 2015 and 2017, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Four hours long, four hour long episodes. Um, I think it's on Showtime in the US. Um, Almost impossible to get in Australia because you can't, Mm. you know, Showtime here is scattered across a bunch of streaming networks. None of them carried this. You would think. A four-hour-long interview with Vladimir Putin would probably yeah. be uh, at, at this juncture in history yeah. something really timely. important that would be easy to find and watch. Yeah, timely. Yeah, timely. relevant. Yeah, um, really <laughs> hard to find. Because <laughs> right. um, you, well, you you said he came across as I'm going to use these words air quotes normal human being. Maybe yeah. that's why it's not. That excessive. Yeah. Whereas if he'd yeah. been frothing at the mouth, it'd be all over the place. Yeah. I'm Sorry. into the third hour of the interview now. I sort right. of, you know, it, it takes a lot of concentration to watch because uh, it's subtitled. His uh, Putin's yeah. words are subtitled. Read. Uh, he's speaking in Russian. It's just subtitled. And um, so you I'm have used. to focus. And I don't get a lot of time to sit and watch stuff. But uh, no, you I, get two uh, redheads in the house. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm really enjoying it, and and cool. y- you know we have um, made a study of the United States' uh, geopolitical history and its current mm-hmm. uh, through this show, the, the way it operates, and Putin reflects that. Like he, he he's a pretty smart guy. He understands it as well, if not better than we do. I'm saying that facetiously because, of course, he understands it better than we do. But <laughs> you know, it's he's very matter of fact. And he keeps referring to the United States as our partners. Uh, You know, our partners do this, our partners do that. And uh, at one point, Oliver Stone goes, why do you keep calling them your partners? You know, they're they're obviously your enemies, not your partners. He said, well, we believe in in dialogue, we believe in diplomacy, and we just hope that one day we'll be able to sit down and do business with them. He talks about why he supported George W. Bush's War on Terror, Mm-hmm. Um, and because he figured we all had this, you know, after 9 yes. 11, he said, I figured we, yes. we all stopping Islamic terrorism, fundamentalist terrorism was sort of a common goal that we should get on board and support. We should all do that. Absolutely. Uh, it's just like, uh, I know this is uh, sounds unpopular to people, but everyone needs to watch this, honest to God. And yeah make up your own mind about Putin, but he just comes across, to me anyway, right. uh, in this is very, very intelligent, very, very um, uh, just practical, very practical yeah. man um, yeah. trying to, you know, run his country. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's it's very, very interesting series of interviews that I highly recommend. I would like to do that. And maybe we could uh, watch one at a time and talk about it, but that's that's a future idea. Um, I don't know what you've heard lately, but according to the never wrong Western press, uh, Putin has lost it. He's gone over the deep end. He's crazy. He's insane. He's trying to destroy the world. So what you're talking about must have been AI, CGI, KGB, uh, sock puppet. I don't know. But uh, clearly he, he's gone over the deep end, according to my sources, which is pretty much every Western newspaper out there. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is 
you know, the demonization of the enemy is something that goes hand in hand with war, always has done. Yeah. Yes. You go back and, and you, you go back and look at <laughs> British cartoons about Napoleon oh, from the late yeah. 1700s, early 1800s. They're always depicting him as uh, a dwarf demon. Um, Rotund. Well, yeah. eventually, yeah, but not in the early yeah. cartoons. Right. He's like this a skinny little, little demon, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, literally a demon. So the demonization of the enemy goes hand in hand. You have you have to sort of demonize the enemy right. if you want to. You're trying to justify your war to your people. The U.S. obviously has done that with everybody from um, Pol Pot the through to right. oh, so, um, Ho Chi Minh, um, Hitler, Stalin, um, you name it, yeah. uh, Gaddafi, Saddam Hussein, mm-hmm. uh, who else is thrown into the mix there? I, I, there's a long list of names. Now, uh, right. you know, honestly, some of them were crazy or yeah. crazy-ish and did a lot of horrible things. But also, right. you know, they were – uh, rational realists as well. And as we've talked about on the show, probably in the Cold War show, Stalin wasn't batshit crazy. Stalin had justifications for everything he did. Hitler mm-hmm. wasn't batshit crazy. I mean, depending on how you uh, judge that, I guess. But, you know, yes, sending millions of people to extermination is seems crazy to most right. of us. I mean, it's psychopathic. Um, but uh, the flip side is he had rational justifications in his mind for why they did what they did. And here's the thing, yeah. you know, I'm a big believer that unless you try and understand how these people are thinking and you try and understand their justifications for what they're doing, yeah. um, you can't really begin to understand it and you can't figure out what to do about it apart from just attack, attack, attack. If you just yeah. demonize these people as crazy and idiots and warmongers, et cetera, et cetera, you don't yeah. have to stop and think about, well, you know, is there anything else we could have done or could do about their concerns and their issues next time? Right. Is there anything yeah. that we could do differently, we could do better, et cetera? Yeah. Anyway, speaking about Ukraine, uh, John Mearsheimer, um, university professor from Chicago, mm-hmm. a geopolitical realist. Um, I've talked about him on this show a lot over the last right. year in particular. Uh, he was one of the main voices after Russia invaded Ukraine last year who said, yeah, well, you know, this is about NATO uh, encroachment. And yes. well, we all knew that this was a distinct possibility if we kept pushing NATO closer and closer to Russia's borders that eventually they would have to do something about it. Yeah, um, he has been vilified uh, endlessly for saying these things, but it hasn't stopped him. There's a great talk on YouTube, and I think uh, you've seen some of it um, mm-hmm. that he's given in the last week at a thing called the Committee for the Republic, sort of a not-for-profit uh, think, not a think tank, like an association in the US, right? Yeah, an organization it's got, or whatever. Yeah. It's got one of those names that makes me throw up a little bit in my mouth, but. <laughs> They they got him in about a week ago to give a speech about the state of things in Ukraine. Yes. And um, I thought it was really interesting, very well delivered. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, he's he's saying he's very sceptical that there's any peace deal to be had now there. Right. Uh, he, says, he says that all parties, and by all parties we mean primarily Russia, Ukraine, and the United States, 
see this war, losing this war as an existential risk. Exactly. Um, so mostly Russia yeah. and NATO is an existential risk. Russia sees NATO in Ukraine as an existential risk, risk mm-hmm. their country. Mm-hmm. Ukraine yeah. obviously sees losing the war to Russia as an existential risk. The US sees Ukraine losing the war, maybe not as a risk to the existence of the United States, but an existential risk for NATO. He's saying yes. that if they lose this, it's going to weaken uh, NATO, even though Ukraine's not a part of NATO officially, they're treating it as a you know, presumptive member of NATO with the $118 exactly. billion dollars of support the US has thrown to Ukraine, and I think an equal number has come out of uh, the EU. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's basically saying that he doesn't see any of them being willing to sit down and negotiate uh, a peace deal right now. He says it's a war of attrition, it's trench warfare, uh, yeah. World War One style. They're just going to keep going and keep going and keep going until somebody runs out of people or bullets or political will, but he doesn't see that right. likely to be happening anytime soon. What freaked me out was very early on in his speech, like he was saying, he goes, I don't think there's going to be a resolution. There may be a ceasefire and that ceasefire. And he didn't say this, but it made me think of it not unlike Korea. There might be a ceasefire that lasts for years or for decades. But you're right. When you have all the major players going, no matter what, we have to win. Suddenly there are no rules. There are no limitations. And you do whatever you have to to win. And we'll get to that in another episode. But yeah, he, he was he was freaking me out a little bit. He's like, look, I can I can do all the details. But basically, here's what's going to happen. And I don't know how and when, but Russia's going to win. Ukraine's going to lose any, anywhere between 23 and 40%, 46% of their land. And either America and NATO has to learn to live with that, or they're going to ratchet up this war, and suddenly it won't be a proxy war. We might be facing each other directly, and of course, nobody wants that. But he, he and you stressed this, and he stressed this. It was ever since something like 2008, I can't remember the exact year, Russia said, do not approach us. We are not fucking around. Like Stalin said, when it comes to Poland, this is a matter of life or death for us. We are not playing games. We might not be perfect. You might, whatever, we were allies at one time, but now we're the enemy Cold War. Yeah, whatever. Who cares? This is not a game for us. If you come, we will fight. And I don't know if you want to call it arrogance or naivete or hoping for the best. The West came and Russia is now fighting. Again, you don't have to like it. You don't have to like Russia. You don't have to like Putin. But if somebody breaks into your house, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to defend what is yours. Who are you talking about? What's the analogy of the house being broken into there? Russia's house being broken into or Ukraine's house? Uh, Russia's house is being broken into because Ukraine is like knock, knock, knocking on the door. And through them, NATO and Russia said, you know, for years, do not do this. This is not a game we can afford to play and lose. And they're not. Yeah, they're not playing. Yeah. I mean, as we've talked about on the show before, I mean, as late as January 2022, Biden was having discussions with Putin was having discussions with Biden and Putin was saying, uh, you know, that. They wanted to. They wanted ironclad agreements from the US that Ukraine wouldn't join yeah. NATO, and Biden said, "Hey, it's not even up for discussion. When right. we can't even talk about that, you know." Yeah. Um, the, the sort of yeah, and and you know that was the provocation. 
that uh, they were throwing at Putin. When you say that we're not even going to talk about something, yeah, yeah. that's not diplomacy. It's, that's, it's, it's the opposite. Yeah, of that's diplomacy. just two fingers in somebody's face, right? It's like <laughs> fuck you. We're not even talking about. Take off your glove, slap them across the face, and then wonder why they react. But yeah, you're yeah. right. It's the exact opposite of diplomacy. Now, as we've talked about before, um, obviously, when the invasion happened, the U.S. took it as an opportunity to throw sanctions uh, against Russia, additional sanctions against Russia. Yeah. Um, sort of story in The Guardian on the 21st of May, the West's tightening of Russian sanctions is a sign of failure, says Larry Elliott at The Guardian. Uh, the tightening of sanctions against Russia announced by the G7 summit in Hiroshima is evidence mm-hmm that the West remains solidly behind Ukraine in its battle against aggression. Right. It is also a sign of failure, he says. Yes. Um, Wasn't it supposed to knock them out? Wasn't it supposed to shrink everything up, take away their ability to wage war, make them suffer, make the people suffer, and they would come begging to us to, to stop the sanctions? Not quite what has happened. Yeah, but see, this is my issue. That is the right. commonly held belief about what the sanctions are supposed to do, but I don't think that's what the sanctions are supposed to do at right. all. I mean, if at all, uh, it's a, a secondary or tertiary uh, objective yeah. of the sanctions. Anyway, Icing on uh, the cake. Yeah. yeah, Larry Alec goes on to say, despite talk of quick victory, there's been no knockout blow in the economic war, let alone signs that freezing assets, targeting oligarchs, seeking alternative energy sources and depriving Russia of vital components has brought about a change of heart in the Kremlin. Right. Um, now, of course, uh, you know, there are a couple of versions of this story. On one hand, people will say, yes, well, mm-hmm. um, sanctions take time. This is going to take right. years to trickle down into their economy and take effect, et cetera, et cetera. And that may be true. The longer sanctions go on, the the more damage they do. Yeah. As countries like Cuba and North Korea and Venezuela that have lived under U.S. uh, sanctions for decades Mm -hmm. would be able to attest. Um, I saw... My uh, friend David Markham post a thing the other day, you know, like uh, capitalism is uh, better than socialism. Just look at the economies of uh, Venezuela and Cuba and North Korea. And I was like, yeah, do you want to talk about the impact of the economic sanctions against those countries for decades and what's that's done to the economy? But yeah, you can't have that conversation with Markham. You just can't. Yeah. I just can't well, have an intelligent conversation or- with him about these things. It's, well, he's a true patriot, but it's apples and oranges. Yeah, what like you've said in the past, what would their economies look like if we hadn't had decades long, you know, economic restrictions? But I want to go back to something you just said a second ago. You can have all the sanctions you want. You can hurt these people economically all you want, but if there is an existential or a perceived existential threat to them, they will live without. For as long as they can, if not forever, because the the alternative is so much worse. They can lose everything. So sanctions, yeah, maybe it makes you feel good or you can pound the table and you can say you're doing something. You can tell the, the newspapers that you're doing things. But at the end of the day, if the Russians believe and um, Mearsheimer really convinced me that he thinks that Russia thinks uh, th- this entire situation is an existential threat. 
they're going to keep going. And of course, when he talks to people about it and they're like, they're crazy. It's not a threat. He goes, it doesn't matter what you think. It's what they think because that's what they're basing their actions off of. So again, yeah. sanction away. But if someone's, if it's literally a zero sum game, they're going to fight until they can't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Getting back to my uh, key Ooh, point though, is that please. sanctions are positioned uh, in this case as right. trying to damage the Russian economy to make it difficult them for, to, for them to wage war and, and possibly yeah. bring about some sort of regime change in Russia. If the Russian people mm. rise up in mm -hmm. some sort of a colored revolution kind of deal, right. which, you know, is fine. But I think the real, objective of the sanctions is right. and always has been uh, as a way of benefiting uh, U.S. and allied um, companies, energy companies, yeah. energy companies in particular, <laughs> but a lot of other companies as well. So basically all of the Russian companies mm -hmm. that were trading in Europe oh, and around the world, selling right. oil and gas and other resources, um, uh, unable to do that, so the US yes. and their allies are able to step in and pick up all of yeah. that business. Uh, quite often, usually at uh, good margins, because uh, exactly. you know when the when the Russian supply of oil and gas, just as one example, was taken out of the global market, and that didn't happen quickly. People kept buying it for you know in yes. Europe for a good year. But right. as those things get taken out of the market, the amount of uh, supply in the global market decreases, which means the yeah. if the demand stays constant but the supply levels drop, prices go up, margins go right. up, profits go up. Now um, that then gets you know it's been impacted by uh, yeah. deals that Russia's been able to do with China and India and other countries. Uh, mm -hmm. So it. it it hasn't necessarily worked out perfectly, for, even for the oil providers. Like the crude oil price hasn't exactly consistently gone up over that period. It's right. sort of been going down recently. But I think that's the, the real, which they don't talk about in the media. You're not allowed yeah. to say this. It's the unspoken <laughs> truth. The, the yeah. real reason for the sanctions is to benefit non-Russian players by removing yeah. Russia as a competitor in this space. Um, secondary or, or tertiary um outcomes mm -hmm. that are desired might be weakening its position, its ability to wage war, but that hasn't happened. And it also makes me wonder if Putin is as insane as uh, <laughs> the Western media and Western governments like to suggest. It's almost yeah. like he knew what he was getting himself into <laughs> when he made the decision right? to invade. It's almost like yeah. he had thought about this a little bit and yeah. um, kind of knew that at least – like if it wasn't over quickly, whether or not it was over quickly, even if it was over quickly, there would have been under sanctions. Right. And right. if they it wasn't going. over quickly and it dragged on, he'd be under more yeah. and more sanctions. And they, you know, they prepared for that and uh, yeah. to the best of their ability. Like yeah. Again, if you watch this Oliver Stone documentary, it, one thing that I think uh, should be very clear to anyone mm -hmm. who watches it is that Putin is a very, very, very smart guy. And a very very smart operator, uh, yeah. he he is he is no dummy. <laughs> he was like KGB him. trained, right? I mean, they don't yeah. they normally don't do morons in the KGB. <laughs> you know well, what I'm like, saying? If you, if you watch Hollywood films from the 80s, they're all morons. Oh, they're complete morons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
Yeah, no, he was um, KGB, but yeah, a lot of interesting things come out of it. Like, there's this there's footage of him playing ice hockey, and uh, the Stone. Yeah, Stone says, <laughs> um, "How long? How long have you been playing ice hockey?" He said, uh, "I started two and a half, three years ago." He started when he was sixty to play ice hockey. He said, "I couldn't even skate before Whoa. then." And Stone's like, That's why a- are you doing this? Uh, it's, I think it's good to challenge yourself. I think it's good to have yeah. to learn new things. Yeah. He's been a he's practiced judo every day since he was 13 or 14. Uh, mm. There's a bit of footage of him um, doing his <laughs> judo training. Right. Um, you know, he, he's a really interesting uh, guy. <laughs> yeah. Who's, uh, like this depiction of him is in the West is, you know, this sort of, Machismo, bareback riding kind of dude. Painting a, petting a hairless cat in his chair. <laughs> yes, Mr. Bond, I want you to die. No, but but what you're saying is that he's a completely normal person with interests and a normal lifespan like everybody else, and he and he gets wiser and whatever as he gets older. And he's just a guy. Yes, he's the president of Russia, but he's a guy, and it's his job to look after the interests of his country and himself. He's, you know, he's not the super, like your, you know, villain, whether with space lasers or whatever. Fuck, I don't know. But, 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 but you're right. We have to do that because it makes it easier if we dehumanize our opponents. It makes it easier to kill tens of thousands of their people. It makes it easier to drop bombs. It makes it easier to, mm. to, to, to have economic sanctions and to see them suffer. But I wanted to ask you specifically where along the way when he was getting, because we talked about this and uh, this it's been a, a year or whatever but he literally saved up a whole bunch of money knowing something like this was going to happen but uh I, I think the 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 veil or whatever you want to call it came off for me when uh the pipeline was blown up and some people were postulating Russia is so devious. They're playing a deep game by blowing up their own infrastructure that's when i got off the wagon car because i'm like but I'm sure there are people that will believe that. But well, they're playing, yeah, they're so playing the same saying, story this week. You know, there were drone attacks on the Kremlin a week or so ago, and right, I've seen. Yeah, I remember that. And there's a, been other a short a, video. Yeah, go yeah. Ahead. And there's been other attacks in Russia, drone attacks in Russia. I've seen media mm. commentators going, "Oh, this is this is a false flag. Russia's attacking themselves." Yeah. In order to justify increasing, like, really, you think they need to justify uh, <laughs> more more justification for the war in Ukraine? I think they're they're pretty much beyond trying yeah. to come up with fake reasons to justify yeah. a war in Ukraine right now. I think there will be box has been checked exactly. Yeah, but the fact that yeah. like the media still plays the false flag thing after the Nord yes. Stream thing has been exposed by Seymour Hersh, and I've got some more on that in here. Right. Um, which I'll get to later on. The fact mm-hmm. that um, they're still trying to play the Russian false flag story w- whenever these things happen is again just right. hysterical. They go Plausible like no one's deniability. no one's going to notice yeah. that we just keep using this. Yeah, this story. Um, <laughs> keep uh, sticking with Ukraine briefly. Yes. Glenn Greenwald's uh, newsletter a week or so ago had some interesting stuff in it. It was headline, US continues dangerous escalations in Ukraine sprinting toward catastrophe. 
I got right. a quote from it here. Observing that the US was intending to use Ukraine as a proxy war with Russia was once taboo to say. Anyone yes. who said it was immediately, needless to say, branded a Russian agent or a pro-Russian propagandist, and yet now nobody disputes that characterization. How can you? It's like every hallmark of a classic proxy war, and there are some really serious escalations taking place right now as we speak, escalating numbers and types of Ukrainian attacks into Russian territory using American yeah. weapons systems, including weapons systems the Biden administration repeatedly vowed not to send only to send them. While there are greater incursions by the Ukrainian or Ukrainian allied forces into Russia, striking yeah. Russian targets and killing Russian people with American weapons, the Biden administration reversed its most emphatic decree that it would never send F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine, given their capacity yeah. to strike deep into Russian territory. By having Joe Biden announce to President Zelensky that the F-16s are on their way and that the US will begin training Ukrainian pilots on how to use them, I think the most striking part of this war is that there has been no campaign of propaganda and disinformation that even compares to the ones surrounding the war in Ukraine, at least since wow. the war in Iraq. And, you know, he makes the point at one at one stage that, um, you know, the US has sent $118 billion or approved $118 billion of right. military support for Ukraine, which definitely makes you a co-belligerent in the war. <laughs> But yes. Congress uh, uh, hasn't declared war on Russia. There's been no formal declaration of war by either Congress or the president with some sort of an executive order. Although, right, technically, he, you know, we know technically for the US to go to war it needs to be approved by Congress. But yes, in the last 20, 30 years, presidents have found ways of getting around that. Um, right. And they were given power after 9-11 to do certain things. So you're absolutely right. If, if yeah, Biden could take this a lot further if he wanted to, it's kind of scary. But the fact that they you're basically a co-belligerent without declaring yourself a co-belligerent mm-hmm. is, I think, legally very difficult in the US. Okay. And I'm su- surprised it's not being challenged. But of course, who the fuck's going to challenge it? Uh, both yeah. major parties are totally on board with this. Yeah. You know, it only seems like yesterday during the midterms that there was all this talk that the Republicans uh, took back one of the houses in the midterms that they'd put a stop to funding the war in Ukraine. Yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah, I'd be very surprised if that actually happens. Yeah. And, uh, of course, it didn't happen. As we'll right. talk about well, later, even during the debt ceiling negotiations, there was absolutely no discussion, as I understand no. it, about reduction of military spending in Ukraine or elsewhere. It's yeah. sort of got bipartisan support that we need to be – Spending as much as we possibly can squeeze out of the titties into uh, warmongering. <laughs> right. You probably know of, I don't know the exact name of it, but there's a, a website that you can go to where all the people of Congress have to list what they buy and sell when it comes to stocks. And there are a lot of people now who are just literally following them. And just as many Republicans, and I, I've looked at it a couple of times, but just as many Republicans as Democrats are buying up, you know, buying stock in certain, you know, companies that, you know, may end up helping in the Ukraine. So these people know what they're doing. And you're right. This is a cash cow for a lot of people. The funding for Ukraine is not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. As we've said a million times over the years on our various shows, the U.S. is a war-based economy. Yeah. It's what it's the engine that drives the U.S. economy. 
I wanted to ask, was it the Glenn Greenwald video or another video? Because we've watched several. Um, somebody was saying Ukraine is important in a general sense to America. Like, oh, you're a country and you're a republic or whatever. Yay. Um, but we're not going to go to war for you. And he said something like, Obama made it clear, I am not going to war for Ukraine. And Trump, who doesn't have his own original ideas, pretty much piggybacked onto, onto Obama. So what, I don't know, what is it about Biden that makes him more gung-ho or gung-ho for, for this war? Because you know how proxy wars go. Eventually, they're less proxy and more war, and then the two sides end up facing each other together. But I've been trying, I've been trying to figure out what the heck is, I guess, Biden, like you said, maybe he sees an opportunity. Not only can we do sanctions, not only can we maybe destroy Russia, take it off the main stage, put Putin on trial, um, and we can get rid of a, a threat to NATO because the people in Europe Europe take NATO very seriously because it's protected them for decades. But I, but I wonder what the change was between Obama back then and Biden now going, no, we're, we're definitely going to do this and we're going to ramp it up. Uh, I just wonder where the when that happened, that moment. Protected them for decades against who? Uh, the, the Soviets who were not coming over the border. <laughs> aliens NATO. yeah NATO hasn't protected anyone against anything um there it's was no gesture right soviet invasion but, we've talked about this in our nato show no you're right but it, but the americans were fearful the europeans were fearful and even though the russians weren't going to attack which we know now, uh, it wasn't going to change the minds of the people. So again, it's all about perception and everybody views themselves as the hero in their own story. But you're right. No, the Soviets did not have any intention of crossing over and taking Europe. That is absolutely true. They did not want that headache. They did not. Um, they, like The conspiracy theorist in me would like to say that the reason uh, Biden has pushed for this war is because of the uh, dirty Biden family laundry that's in Ukraine. He doesn't want Russia coming in and getting access to that, so better to blow the right. place up, going back to Hunter Biden's uh, mm -hmm. economic escapades in there and Joe Biden's political escapades to cover that up. Uh, but I don't right. think that's the real reason. I think the real reason is... This has been a long-term objective of the United States mm -hmm. to yeah. uh, bring about regime change in Russia, uh, provoke them into a war to weaken them, um, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, it's, it, you know, it does them. seem to happen under the Democrats a lot. This kind of stuff. I guess Iraq and Afghanistan were under Republicans, but well, yeah, no we'll one get expected. To We'll get into Obama's views about Ukraine in a little bit, oh, okay. and and Sorry. Trump's. Yeah, but um, on this, get back to Glenn Greenwald. Mm. Um, he had a guest mm -hmm. on a guy called the Sagar Jetty, who's the co-host of a show called Breaking Points, right. and he he points out uh, the F F sixteen is the perfect example. Just four months ago, President Biden ruled this out in an interview with CBS News's David Muir. He said, "No, they don't need them." He laid out a major strategic case as to why the risk of World War III, and he said right. that privately. But then again and again and again, the Ukraines and, frankly, their media allies constantly, people like Jim Acosta and others are airing Ukraine, Ukrainian pilots and Zelensky's pleas for F-16s 
as a direct CNN interview that CNN right. actually deleted. We had to go back and find it. Where President Zelensky pleaded with President Biden live on Wolf Blitz's show from just a few months ago. Please send the mm-hmm. jets. Please send the jets. And increasingly, right. we're basically being propagandized by our media by not giving anybody the counter case or laying things out in exactly the way that you did, Glenn. I mean, we're being told that this war is about democracy. And now, obviously, that ignores many of the democratic platforms that have been uh, democratic problems that have been ongoing in Ukraine and prior to this invasion. Mm-hmm. Greenwald says, "You mean little things like the landscape banning opposition media outlets even before the war, banning churches since the war, banning opposition parties since the war, essentially doing every single thing possible that is anti-democratic in nature." Do you mean things <laughs> like that? And Jetty says, exactly. And none of this this is to say, yeah, he deserved to get invaded. It's should we risk nuclear armed conflict over a scrap of the eastern Donbass region of Ukraine? When you put things that way, or actually not even eastern regions, not even nuclear war, should we pay more than $3.50 or $4 a gallon in gas? Should we have trillions of dollars that we're spending in terms of our lost economic opportunity, sanctions, the global financial system? All of it was blown up over something which we are told over and over again is so important for democracy. But when you strip away that language that the media is constantly feeding us, then we have mm-hmm. a very, very different picture of what's going on here. Now, right. again, Yes, look, there are there are there have been costs to some segments of American society, and certainly for Europeans and Australians, mm-hmm. um, uh, as a result of the war. Uh, you know, our markets have been in sort of um, terror mode. Uh, right. Prices have gone up. Uh, interest rates have gone up, mostly because of COVID stuff, but a little bit to do with the war mm-hmm. um, and inflation that, right. that's been caused by uh, you know uh, global. Um, supply shortages of things. But mm-hmm. um, there are also segments of the US economy that have done very well out of it, I'm sure. People, right. businesses that have done very well out of this. It, so, you know, yeah. you, you, can't, you can't really look at it as, well, the general population are suffering as a result of this. It's not really about right. them. It's about the uh, special interests, the elite interests and how they're doing out of it. But also yeah. just this this objective of destroying. You know, I think the big concern that the American planners, strategic planners, have is mm-hmm. this ongoing concern that China and Russia are getting too big for their boots, and they're threatening U.S. hegemony around the world, and they need to be taken down. They America yeah. doesn't want to go back to a bipolar world. No. They they want no. to stay in a unipolar hegemony. Where what right. they say goes, and that makes sense, <laughs> you know. Yeah, kind of like those well, days. Yeah, yeah. Somebody just die in your house. Uh, so someone gave a Heather some lip, and she had to slap him. Uh, it happens all the time around right. here. Uh, it's just look away, just look away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh so, no, they say you 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 bumped into the car door again, right? Pretty much. I just put the big, I got the big old people glasses on, the sunglasses where you can't see most Jackie of the Jackie Onassis glasses. Yeah, yeah, there we go. A little bit of makeup would do the rest. No, but but you're right. I mean, this is an opportunity. If we truly want to take Russia down, if we truly want to take China down a peg or two, we've got Taiwan. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, this is a wonderful, and I use that word very weirdly, opportunity for the United States to try to make Russia bleed and be the pariah of the world. 
Biden, an old school guy, he's going to take advantage of it. And like like you said, I mean, uh, that green Glenwall, uh, that Glenn, <laughs> Glenn Greenwald video. First, Biden said, no Patriot missiles. We give him Patriots. No Abram tanks. We give him tanks. And now we're going to give him F-16 fighters. The last time I looked that up, those things cost like $18 million a piece, probably more in today's dollars, because that was it was a couple of years ago when they were uh, building a lot of them. So again, like you were saying, economic opportunities lost. What could you do with $18 million for your people, for your state, for your city, for your country. And that's just one jet. I mean, this money could be going to a lot better use. Mm. Greenwald um, also points to an interview that Obama did with uh, Jeffrey Goldberg, who was at the time the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic in in April 2016. Mm. They were talking about the Obama doctrine. Right. in this, Goldberg asks Obama why he didn't do more in Ukraine uh, when mm. uh, um, the whole Georgia and Donbass thing was going on over there, right. which, by the way, Putin talks about in the Oliver Stone documentary, which is really mm. interesting, his view cool. on Georgia. He's like, I can't believe they blamed us for that. Like the the president of uh, Georgia talked about how they were going to go and invade South Ossetia um, and then did, and then we get blamed for going mm. in and trying to stop the violence. Like, they blamed us. Anyway. You're not going to um, win. Yeah. He, uh, Jeffrey Goldberg asked Obama why he didn't do more, and this is what Obama said in the interview, and I looked it up to, to verify this. Obama said, the fact is that Ukraine, which is a non-NATO country, is going to be vulnerable to military domination by Russia no matter what we do. It's realistic, he said, but this is an example of where we have to be very clear about what our core interests are and what we are willing to go to war for. And at the end of the day, there's always going to be some ambiguity. Mm -hmm. And he then said, um, it's... um, here, uh, hold on. He then said mm-hmm. that if people thought he should go to war, if there right. now if there is somebody in this town that would claim that we should consider going to war with Russia over Crimea and Eastern Ukraine, they should speak <sighs> up and be very clear about it. Basically, in other words, saying going okay. to going to war with yeah. Russia is such a huge risk. That if yeah. you really think we should do that, you better tell us why we should risk that. And uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. What you don't know is the camera suddenly cut over to Biden, who was sitting on his hands, going, mm, "Pick me, pick me." Mm. No, but uh, yeah, but but he's right. I mean, you're 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 Russia's neighbor. They're going to have influence on you, and it's a non-NATO country. It's a no-brainer. For Obama at this point, I'm not going in. I mean, if you've got a reason, it better be. You've said this before. You can start a war and you can plan about the first couple of days of war. After that, you have no fucking idea what's going to happen. It's the great unknown that scares a lot of people. And you don't take a risk like that unless you know the outcome already. And Obama wasn't going to touch that. He's just going on droning people to death. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, interestingly that, you know, the U.S. has gone from, you know, the the latter part of the 
Obama years, him saying like there's basically saying Ukraine's not a core interest and it's sort right. of a losing idea to try and defend it against Russia through the Trump yeah. years where there was uh, no attempt to go to war. All of a sudden, almost as soon as Biden becomes president, um, you're in a war over Ukraine. Yeah. And like you said, he's got connections. He and his family have connections in Ukraine. And who knows? Who in the hell knows what really happens over there? Um, now, uh, Greenwald also in another one of his newsletters um, mm-hmm. mentioned uh, some articles that Noel Ferguson wrote. Noel Ferguson is at um, the Hoover Institution at Stanford University and writes right. for Bloomberg, previously a professor of history at Harvard, New York University, and Oxford. He's written a number of books. I think I've read a couple of his books over the years. Right. But there was this um, article that I dug up um of his let me just open it up here for a second this is mm-hmm. from bloomberg um dated march 22nd 2022 where he says american officials are divided on how much the lessons from cold war proxy wars like the soviet union's war in afghanistan can be applied to the ongoing war in ukraine david mm. sanger reported for the new york times on saturday According to Sanger, who cannot have written his piece without high-level sources, the Biden administration, quote, seeks to help Ukraine lock Russia in a quagmire without inciting a broader conflict with a nuclear-armed adversary or cutting off potential paths to de-escalation. CIA officers are helping to ensure that crates of weapons are delivered into the hands of vetted Ukrainian military units, according to American officials. But as of now, Mr. Biden and his staff do not see the utility of an expansive covert effort to use the spy agency to ferry in arms as the United States did in Afghanistan against the Soviet (laughs) Union during the 1980s. Washington will revert to the Afghanistan after 1979 playbook of supplying an insurgency only if the Ukrainian government loses the conventional war. I have evidence from other sources to corroborate this. The only end game now a senior administration official was heard to say at a private event earlier this month, Mm -hmm. is the end of Putin's regime. Until then, all the time Putin stays, Russia will be a pariah state that will never be welcomed back into the community of nations. China has made a huge error in thinking Putin will get away with it. Seeing Russia get cut off will not look like a good vector, and they'll have to reevaluate the Sino-Russia axis. All this is to say that democracy in the West may well look back on this as a pivotal strengthening moment. Um, That hasn't really worked out. If yeah. anything, China and Russia have gotten closer together, uh, yes, and, they and need strong allegiances. Yeah. Well, I, I I don't know that Russia uh, that China needs Russia so much, but it sees yeah. Russia as an ally in um, you know providing a buy you know, a counterbalance uh, in a bipolar world to the mm. United States' hegemony. Anyway, he what, goes on better, to say, mm. "Yeah, go ahead. Sorry." A better way to put that is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And we know that the Russia is giving discounted oil to India and China. So, hmm. so yeah, strange bedfellows during war. Ferguson went on to write, the fascinating thing about this strategy is the way it combines cynicism and optimism. It is, when you come <laughs> to think of it, archetypal realpolitik to allow the carnage in Ukraine to continue, to sit back and watch the heroic Ukrainians bleed Russia dry, to think Mm -hmm. of the conflict as a mere subplot in Cold War II. 
a struggle in which China is our real opponent. The Biden administration not only thinks it's doing enough to sustain the Ukrainian war effort, but not so much as to provoke Putin to escalation. It also thinks it's doing enough to satisfy public opinion, which has rallied strongly behind Ukraine, but not so much as to cost American lives, aside from a few unlucky volunteers and journalists. The optimism, however, is the assumption that allowing the war to keep going will necessarily undermine Putin's position and that his humiliation in turn will serve as a deterrent to China. I fear these assumptions may be badly wrong and reflect a misunderstanding of the relevant history. Prolonging Mm. the war runs the risk not just of leaving tens of thousands of Ukrainians dead and millions homeless, but also of handing Putin something that he can plausibly present at home as victory. Betting on a Russian revolution is betting on an exceedingly rare event, even if the war continues to go badly for Putin. If the war turns in his favour, there will be no palace coup. As for China, I believe the Biden administration is deeply misguided in thinking that its threats of secondary sanctions against Chinese companies will deter President Xi Jinping from providing economic assistance to Russia. Now, he wrote this in March 22, as I said, right. over a year ago, and he was right on a number of fronts. I mean, this thing has turned into, um, I think, like a Afghanistan in the mm-hmm. uh, 80s type of a play. I said this, I think, from the beginning of this whole thing. I see this as an American attempt to tie Russia up in an Afghanistan like quagmire, try and bleed them dry, and just the Ukrainians are the cannon fodder that they're throwing at this whole operation. The Americans are throwing at this whole operation now. So they're sacrificing the the Ukrainians as an attempt to weaken Putin. Yeah, sometimes I look at Zelensky and I'm like, I feel so bad for you. I mean, you are literally in a position where you have to fight because uh, Russia is not going to stop and you can't give up the, all that land. Uh, and and I read something today, and, and tell me if you came across this. There's a lot of pressure in the West for Zelensky to go on the offensive. But here's my thinking. You take one of those F-16s, which can take the fight to the enemy, and you attack sincerely and intensely in Russia, I think you might just piss off Putin to the point where he doesn't hold back anymore. Because we've already talked about this, and Mearsheim said the same thing. Putin has got a ton of experienced grade A troops that he's not even using right now. He's saving that for either an opportunity or if, if, a, if a threat comes from another direction or whatever. Putin has got literally one hand behind his back. You don't want to push him too far where he brings that second hand around. Who knows what's going to happen? But you're right. The, the, the longer a fight goes, the war goes on, more unexpected and unpleasant things can potentially happen. And are we supposed to fight this war until Putin dies? Is is that the plan? I mean, what the hell is the end game for this? I guess besides just tying Putin's uh, policy or economics or whatever, everything to this one country, to this one war, this one event. Well, as I said before, I think the, the game plan from the American perspective here is A, um, use this as a justification to hit very, very long-term sanctions on Russia so American right. businesses and their allies can uh, pick up that opportunity and, and make a yeah. ton of money out of it. Long-term, it's not a one-year, two-year operation. Right. This is a this yeah. is a 10-year-long plan to uh, capture Russian um, customers, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. two, Market share. 
Yeah. yeah. Capture market share. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two, it's to uh, tr- try and weaken um, Putin's um, control over Russia, mm-hmm. ostensibly to put another Boris Yeltsin in power, a basically American puppet president. Yeah, control, um, yeah. uh, three, to prevent Putin from overturning the government of uh, Ukraine again and putting another pro-Russian uh, government ah, in Ukraine, right. and for and you know, there's it's not just the the Biden family connection as we've talked about many times before. During the 2014 Maidan revolution in Ukraine, mostly around mm-hmm. Kiev, there was there's all these sniper attacks that happened. <laughs> This is nearly ten years ago. Massive sniper attacks, shooting right. the police as well as the um, people. And and again, Stone talks to Putin about this in the documentary. Mm. Um, and you know, the suggestion from quite a few journalists now is, you know, the the question everyone's asking is, who were who who was behind the sniper attacks? Right. The government over there. The, that's been in power since 2014, the pro-American government, has never done an inquiry into mm. who was responsible for the sniper attacks that killed <laughs> you know, hundreds of right. hundreds of protesters. It wasn't the government of the day. Everyone seems to be pretty clear on that. Right. Um, who it was, who did it, um, who supported it, who covered who it up. Who they working for, exactly. <clears throat> who benefits? <laughs> I think if um, you know a pro-Russian or anti-American, let's say, administration gets into power in Ukraine, and, you know there might be an inquiry done into that, which is probably not going to look good for the Americans. Right. Um, yeah. You know, we also know that the Americans, if not engineered the 2004 and 2014 coups in Ukraine, certainly mm-hmm. supported the coups. Yeah, and you know, obviously, Victoria Nuland's leaked phone call in 2014, the whole conversation with the US ambassador to Ukraine where they discussed who was going to be the new government, who they were going to put into power, and where she wow. said, fuck the yes. EU with the EU's concerns. Yes. Um, you know, the details of how that all went down would probably emerge if you had a you know pro-Russian administration back in there, right. um, which the US definitely doesn't want to happen. But I, you know, I think the main objectives are economic gain and try and weaken uh, Putin so they can have regime change and put a more pliable, let's say, right. oh, I like uh, that. administration yeah. into Russia. Then we go after China, right? Yes, and that's part of weakening <laughs> China. No, well, seriously. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, all no, about it's, it's scary taking out shit. China's allies. Yes, um, one by one, do, 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 do. Yes, trying to ring fence one. China, take out all of their allies as best you right. can. You don't go to war with China. I mean, Mm-mm. a war mm. in Ukraine is sort of a proxy war against Russia, but a war against Russia is a proxy war against the Ukraine. Uh, sorry, against China. China, right. As well, yeah. right? Layers, uh, Jerry. Layers. Layers, yeah. Anyway, moving on from Ukraine, um, <laughs> Jeffrey Sachs, another guy I, I don't mind listening to, American right. economist, um, high praise. public policy analyst, former director of the Earth Institute at Columbia University, where he's a right. professor. Um, read this interesting um, article from him the other day. He says, I tell you, when Nord Stream was blowing up, 
I had a chat with a longtime friend, actually a classmate of mine from Harvard from decades ago, who was a senior reporter in one of the most important newspapers. I said, mm. you know what? I think the US did it. And he said, of course the US did it. Who else? <laughs> and I said, uh, maybe your paper could mention something like that. It just today yeah. said the Russians did it. And he said, come on, Jeff, come on. I said, are you kidding? Could we have a serious discussion of this? And he said to me, you know, the editors are not so interested in that. And I said, and this is a friend <laughs> from decades, I yes. said, you know, when I was young, I turned to your newspaper because of Watergate, because of the Pentagon Papers, and I loved it. And he said to me, that paper is so dead and gone, Jeff, you have to understand <sighs> that. I cannot. So they're obviously talking about the New York Times here. Yeah. I cannot imagine. You know, this is a really talented guy, a lead columnist, a lead journalist, I should say, and he's telling me the paper that I loved is dead and gone. If you ask me right. why, I really cannot figure it out. Why a paper doesn't want to eat the government, beat the government over the head when it tells ridiculous stories like Nord Stream was blown up by six people on a boat, like they tried for one day. Okay, come on. This is this was put up by serious media. Because it was almost a joke from the intelligence agency. Why these media right. are so in line with the official narratives, I don't fully understand. I know all the theories, money, advertising, power, and many other things, but the truth is it's dreadful compared to what it was 40 years ago. Dreadful, and it's gotten a lot worse. If I could add to that, was that the one where they said, um, when it comes to domestic issues, yeah, whatever, when it comes to foreign policy, when it comes to foreign matters, and I'm not saying this is right, but newspapers have a tendency in, it, in every country, I guess, but certainly in America, they have a tendency to be loyal, to be good citizens. They're going to back the government. They're not going to push too hard. They're not going to ask too many questions. I don't know if I buy that, but at least it would help explain Things like this. I mean, and plus, there's always money. There's always influence. There's always power. Like you said before, if I if I'm your source and you you know you you diss me, I'm not going to give you any more information. Uh, but at the end of the day, if, if there is an element of nationalism, of patriotism to it as well, that's that's actually even more scary because they'll just watch as the government does things that it should not do, that it is not allowed by law to do. Look, there may be an element of genuine patriotism in it, but, uh, you know, I'm I mean, a little in a bit more. Patriotism in a bad way, in a bad way. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, all patriotism is bad. Patriotism is inherently bad in my book. But, you know, I, I think the proprietors of these media outlets, be it newspapers, television, radio, mm -hmm. or just online news sites, right. Uh, the proprietors, the, the people who own these big businesses are very well connected into mm -hmm. you know, moneyed elite circles, and mm -hmm. they understand the game and how it works. Uh, American hegemony on a mm -hmm. global geopolitical scale is good for business. Benefits um, us, yeah. Media yeah. companies make money from advertising. Advertisers are also companies that do a lot of business around the world. They mm -hmm. understand the game. Uh, you know, if America is strong internationally and is able to throw its weight around with impunity, then American businesses get to trade on the back of that. Right. And so why would you want to fuck with that? Why would you want to... Uh, challenge the United States' global geopolitical hegemony right, when that doing you. so would be bad for business. It doesn't bite make any hand, sense. Bite yeah. the hand that feeds you. 
Yeah. Like, so I yeah. say to you every week when you ask me to pay you. <laughs> <clears throat> I know. I just hear you say, quit biting me. Uh, anyway. Moving right along, um, again, another Glenn Greenwald story, which is uh, interesting. By the way, I don't know if you've heard, but his um, his uh, husband just died. Um, no. He'd been oh in hospital God. for like a, I think a year, suffering right. from major organ failure. He was, I think, a senator or a congressman in Brazil. Um, they, they have a couple of kids. Just after being in hospital for about a year, he just passed away. But Glenn continues to come out with really good and challenging stuff. He did a story about Bellingcat. Um, Now, you know, for people who don't know who Bellingcat is, um, we've talked about them a number of times on this show over the years. Based in the Netherlands, supposedly like an independent (laughs) investigative journalism group that that specialises in Fact-checking, founded by British citizen journalist and blogger Elliot Higgins in July 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been a bit sceptical about Bellingcat, particularly since we did our Syrian Civil War series at the beginning of the Bullshit Filter. Because I remember that they were really pushing the whole... Bashar al-Assad dropped chemical weapons on his own people story when on the surface of it there was no evidence for that and they were concocting what they said was evidence for it, but it was all very, very flimsy it seemed to me and I was a bit sceptical. Yeah, defied common sense. Yeah. It it, it did. Like they were so assertive in their reporting on it when it it didn't seem to justify that level of assertiveness (laughs) to me. Right. Anyway. Greenwald uh, did a story on them this week, which is interesting. He Mm. says, mystery has long surrounded how this outfit in a very short period skyrocketed from an obscure rag team of failed journalists and dweebish (laughs) online neoliberals into a site that receives ample funding from the US government and the EU's Mm. most potent propaganda arms and has become genuinely revered and aggressively protected by the most pro-establishment media sectors from NBC to CNN with whom Bellingcat is officially partnered, even though those networks rarely, if ever, disclose that fact when defending Bellingcat, to numerous Western governments and politically active billionaires who are also counted among their most rabid supporters and ample funders. The latest controversy came this week when Elon Musk accurately described what Bellingcat does. Bellingcat literally specialises in psychological operations, Musk said. Immediately, the most devoted loyalist of U.S. foreign policy and media politics and academia rose in indignation to Bellingcat's defense, as they always do, all without Mm -hmm. even mentioning, let alone refuting, the rather crucial fact that a significant chunk of Bellingcat funding comes from exactly the agencies that specialize in that kind of PSYOP propaganda campaign, always in an alignment with the US and EU foreign policy. One can barely imagine a fact more revealing than the situation we have here. The most beloved and popular news site, in inverted commas, among established media outlets and pro-establishment academics is one that just so happens to be funded by CIA-adjacent government agencies, EU foreign policy units, and the same small handful of multi-billionaires, George Soros, Bill Gates, Pierre Omidyar, and over and over and over. And anonymous. Whose, whose fingerprints yeah. are always at the centre of virtually every campaign of propaganda, disinformation, and censorship. To say yeah. that 
Bellingcat is a shady and sketchy operation is to woefully understate the case. We'll show you who funds them, what functions they serve, and why glorifying and protecting them has become so crucial to CIA-aligned operatives and the nation's largest media organizations. Right. Now, you've said this before, and we've seen plenty of examples of it, but if I accuse you of something... And then you come back at me and at no point in your vitriol do you address my accusation. You're, you're dealing with someone who knows how to play the game. And I, and I watched a couple of videos that one when they were talking about Chris Hay- Hayes. Uh, I think that's his name. I don't know. Haynes Hayes, whatever. And he was talking to somebody who works at Bellingcat. I mean, literally, they were very good at being all flummoxed and confused and, and almost laughing at it. But at the same time, never, ever really you know, addressing it. And you and I have said a billion times, if somebody wants to buy all our podcasts, if the money is enough, we will say whatever the hell you want. And the same thing with Bellycat, you're getting your money from America and from the European Commission, whatever the heck it's called, but supposedly you're independent. That does not track. That does not make sense. That defies common sense. It simply does not happen. They would not be paying you unless they were getting something out of it. That's how the world works. Yeah. So interesting that he mentions in the list of billionaires, Pierre Omidyar. Um, now, right. f- for people who don't know that name, he's French-born okay. Iranian-American billionaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the founder of eBay. And, wow. Yeah. And uh, was also sort of the um, co-creator and funder of First Look Media, which was the journalism venture that uh, Glenn Greenwald started with Jeremy Scahill, Matt Taibbi, Laura Poitras. Um, It was the company behind The Intercept, which Glenn Glenn Greenwald then left when he had a big fight with the management there over the Hunter Biden laptop reporting. Mm. And mm-hmm. he was saying, we need to report on this. And they basically tried to censor his yeah. reporting. Right. And has since Good been proven to be correct uh, <laughs> in that it was a real story. As we said at the time, too, this is a, this has all the hallmarks of a real story. It's not Russian right. propaganda right. like the, most of the U.S. media uh, and White House was calling it at the time. Mm. Um so, yeah, he throws him in the loop there. So, uh, anyway, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this, but I guess the point here, the reason right. I don't talk about it on the show is, you know, even with these new online media sites, inv- investigative journalism is a great thing, but yes. it is highly likely that any of these sites, particularly if they're continually pushing the Western narrative for these things, yeah. Uh, yeah. It may have been compromised by, mm. you know, um, Western intelligence or, or right. funding from people. Even if it's, even if it's not uh, sinister, like mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, I'm sure He's there are the scenarios. Line. I'm yeah. sure there are scenarios where a billionaire comes and says, "Hey, I like what you're doing. Here's some money. Keep doing the good work," right. because. The billionaire sort of believes the official narrative. Uh, And if you're supporting the official narrative, then good for you. Like more power Mm. to you. Take the money and run with it. Um, Mm. 
We would. Uh, but look, but you know, you have to as readers of this stuff, regardless of who it is, even if it's us, you know, I always yeah. whenever we Question. do one of our shows, whether it's mm-hmm. this or or Cold War or my Christianity film or my my psychopath book, I always mm-hmm. approach them with the um, belief that people are going to challenge me on all of this stuff. They're going to say, well, hold on. I disagree right. with you on this point. I disagree with you on that point. Show me your facts. Show me your data. Show me your sources. I, I sort mm-hmm. of come prepared for a bear fight with these things. Um, right. People usually don't. Um, but <laughs> right. I, I, I'm sort of ready for that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I yeah. you should be cynical about or, yes. or not not cynical maybe skeptical you should be skeptical yeah, about healthy. anything you ever hear on the internet whether it's on a dumb podcast like this or it's in Bellingcat <laughs> or it's in the mainstream media right always maintain a healthy skepticism and you know don't believe anything particularly in this era of ai now man like yes. don't believe anything you read anything you're told ever pictures of me unless yeah. And this is where, right. you know, I always talk about epistemology and heuristics, pictures of you, mm-hmm. you know, AI, a picture of Ray the other day, which was a lot of fun. I'm going to keep doing that too. It was so much fun. Oh, it's, I have no it's doubt. It's like, like, you know, dressing you up in like a like a little doll and dressing you up in outfits is if I can't do it in real life, I'm going to do it in AI because it's so much fun. <laughs> I told Thinking you if about you moved here, I would let you, but no. Scenarios yeah. to put Ray in just for my own amusement. <laughs> Send all uh, your emails, ideas to Cam. Yeah, yeah. please. Um, I'm going to do it like a series of coffee mugs, the many faces of Ray Harris. You just dressed up in different outfits. Um, Love it. Yeah, calendars. Well, it should be like a more <gasps> Yes. Yes. Uh, where was I going with this? Oh, yes. Heuristics. Yeah. 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 Uh, epistemology and heuristics that I always bang on about. So. Yeah. If you find somebody, let's say Glenn Greenwald as an example. I've been following mm-hmm. Glenn's writings for, well, before First Look Media when he was writing for The Guardian. Um, so I've been following him for over a decade. Right. Now, so, you know, the, he broke the Snowden stuff, et cetera, et cetera. I think even before that um, I was following him. He's like defending Julian Assange and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um so when you if you've been if you've been following somebody for a long time and you've decided that they have a good track record in right. speaking truth even and this is important even when it's um socially and and politically unpopular right. again greenwald you know went to the went to the table with his own media organization that he founded over yeah. his right to tell the other side of the Hunter Biden laptop story and was prepared to walk away from that organization in order to maintain his ability to report freely wow. about things that yeah. he thought were important. When mm-hmm. you see people doing that kind of stuff uh, year after year after year, then you know you can trust a little bit that they probably have a high level of integrity and they're good at what they do. Right. So then you can you can start to trust them a little bit, but even then, I would never trust anyone one hundred percent. I always go like when when he's quoting earlier on these uh, Jeffrey Goldberg interviews with Obama. I went and looked them up. I went yeah. and looked up, dug up the original interviews safe. and read through them for myself. I use even guys like Greenwald as pointers to other stories. Oh, okay, I didn't know about right. that. Let me go look that up and read it for myself. Gotcha. 
Anyway, um, be skeptical is the bottom line. Yes. There. Good advice. Let's talk about uh, the Trump-Russia collusion probe, Ray. Um, this story is a couple of weeks old now, 16th of May 2023. This is from the ABC in Australia. FBI lacked evidence for alleged Trump-Russia collusion probe, U.S. Special <laughs> Counsel finds. Yeah, that was me gasping. Yeah. The FBI lacked <laughs> evidence to investigate Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign and relied too heavily on tips provided by Mr. Trump's political opponents to fuel the probe, U.S. Special mm. Counsel John Durham concluded in a report released on Monday. The report marks the end of a four-year investigation launched in May 2019 when then-Attorney General William Barr appointed Mr. Durham, a veteran prosecutor, to right. probe potential missteps by the FBI when it launched its early-stage crossfire hurricane inquiry mm. into potential contacts between Mr. Trump's 2016 presidential campaign and Russia. Mr. Durham said there were a series of missteps by the FBI and Justice Department yeah. as investigators undertook a politically explosive probe in the heat of the 2016 election into mm -hmm. whether the Trump campaign was colluding with Russia to tip the outcome. But the yeah. reporter fell far short of the former president's prediction he would uncover the crime <laughs> of the century. Right. So a nothing uh, burger. In his, no, not a nothing burger at all. In his 306-page okay. report, Mr. Durham concluded that U.S. intelligence and law enforcement did not right. possess any actual evidence of collusion between Mr. Trump's campaign and Russia prior to launching Crossfire Hurricane. He also accused the Bureau of treating the 2016 Trump probe differently from other politically sensitive investigations, including several right. involving Mr. Trump's Democratic rival, Hillary Clinton. <clears throat> so, um, basically, uh, Durham, who uh, mm -hmm. who's you know is a fairly credible guy, right? Uh, a long track record of being a credible investigator. Mm -hmm. Basically, said the FBI shit the bed on this whole thing and yes. Yes. Um, did a really really poor job. Um, now, I don't know how much coverage you've seen of this in your American media, Ray. What did you gather? I mean, you seem to think it was a nothing burger, the Durham report. Well, when, when I was watching, uh, I don't even know if, if I should call it left-leaning, non-Fox News, a lot of the uh, reporters were talking about this and they were saying, oh, there was nothing there. Um, Trump's What it is is they focused on Trump not getting the, the crime of the century or whatever the expression that you just used. And so a lot of them focused on that. So they so based on just watching that, it seemed to me like a nothing burger. Yeah, but now that I'm reading this article that uh, that you sent me, the FBI treated him differently. There wasn't enough uh, evidence. They just kind of kept going when they shouldn't have. They were listening to people who didn't have any evidence or anything to back it up. So was it politically motivated? I have no idea. But clearly, politics were involved in it. But but the but the sense that I got. Uh, MSNBC, things like that, is like, oh, well, there's another thing that blows up in Trump's face. They did not even mention the peculiars, uh, the peculiarities of the of the FBI screwing up from start to finish. Yeah, and the, the media coverage of this has been somewhat muted, which uh, doesn't surprise me, but in and of itself yeah. is interesting. So... Uh, Seymour Hirsch put out an article about this just mm. last night. Russia mm -hmm. Gates missing pieces. What was not said in the Durham report? <laughs> I like he's, that. 
He starts off by saying the first thing to understand about John Durham is that he was a fearless prosecutor who went after organized crime and put in prison retired and active FBI agents who protected the mob for money and other enticements. One of the agencies stopped had enabled James Whitey Bulger Jr., once one of America's most wanted men, the Winter Hill gang boss who evaded arrest for 16 years. Mm -hmm. In his 45 years as a state and federal prosecutor in Connecticut and Virginia, Durham worked often and closely with FBI agents, especially on cases that involved violations of federal racketeering statutes. Durham also handled two inquiries into the CIA's conduct in the War on Terror, and he did so without angering his superiors in the executive branch. In one case, he was asked to investigate the alleged destruction of CIA videotapes of detainee interrogations, the so-called torture tapes. Right. His final report on the matter remained secret, and he recommended that no charges be filed. He was later asked to lead a Justice Department inquiry into the legality of the CIA's enhanced interrogation techniques that resulted in the death of two detainees. In that case, he was told that officers who were given and obeyed what were determined to be illegal orders, there were many of those after 9-11, could not be prosecuted. No charges were filed. Wow. Uh, anyway, yeah. so basically saying that he has credibility, but also his remit has been limited uh, in the past. Yeah, uh, he's he's allowed yeah. to investigate certain things, but not investigate yeah, other things. things. Yes, yeah. yeah, which seems it's to be hard. the case here as well. Yeah. Right. It sounds like <laughs> uh, from what you just read, he he seems to know the land or the world of the FBI pretty well. So that's why he was, even though it took what three or four years, I think it was four years. Um, it sounds like one, he's credible. Two, he's tough, and three, he knows the land that he was working in. So. That's pretty impressive. In his report on the Russiagate thing, he said the FBI would have done less damage to its reputation if it had scrutinized the questionable actions of the Clinton campaign in 2016. The feds, Mm. quote, might have at least cast a critical eye on the phony evidence they were gathering. Um, He also wrote, in late July 2016, U.S. intelligence agencies obtained insight into Russian intelligence analysis, alleging that U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton had approved a campaign plan to stir up a scandal against U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump Mm. by tying him to Putin and the Russians' hacking of the Democratic National Committee. He continues, this intelligence taken at face value was arguably highly relevant and exculpatory because it could be read in fuller context and in combination with other facts to suggest that materials such as the Steele dossier reports and the Alpha Bank allegations were part of a political effort to smear a political opponent and to use the resources of the federal government's law enforcement and intelligence agencies in support Mm. of a political objective. Durham goes on to cite many instances of public statements and private communications of Clinton campaign staffers that were, quote, consistent with the substance of the purported plan. He finds evidence to suggest that at least some officials within the campaign were seeking information about the FBI's response to the DNC hack, which would be consistent with and a means of furthering the purported plan. So basically... He taught he, the, the the summary of the Durham report, as I understand it, is that he mm-hmm. concluded that 
the FBI's investigation into Trump's supposed collusion with the FBI was a Clinton campaign tactic to damage the reputation of Trump during and then after the election, that uh, it wasn't based on any solid evidence. The FBI leapt into it seemingly to support the Clinton campaign against uh, the Trump campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, as we know, in the end of the day, no evidence. Mueller's report found no evidence of collusion. Um, Durham found no evidence of collusion. Um, right. So it looks like to me this is really bad. This Like heads should be rolling over this. <laughs> FBI yeah. heads, current and former, and Clinton heads, right? Right. Um, you know, not it, going it, to, but yeah, yeah. Um, well, you, sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, Sai uh, Hirsch finishes his article with this. In the end, mm-hmm. and to Durham's credit, he stuck to his guns and said what he thought about those who wished him to expand his inquiry deeper into the actions of the Clinton campaign. In this footnote, to be clear, this right. office did not and does not view the potential existence of a political plan by one campaign to spread negative claims about its opponent as illegal or criminal in any respect. He added, however, that for a campaign to knowingly provide false information to the government would be another matter. How to Mm -hmm. distinguish the two is the crux of the issue. In his failure, if that's the right word for it, to get the whole story, Durham Mm -hmm. resembles one of the blind men in the ancient Hindu parable about a group of blind men inspecting an elephant. Each of the inspectors (laughs) describes a small part. The elephant is the campaign to link Trump to Russia. The mainstream press, running with the later discredited Russiagate narrative, portrays Trump as a puppet of Putin or even as a double agent of Moscow dating back to the Soviet era. And Durham sees himself merely as the lawyer who was ordered to investigate FBI managerial shortcomings. The public oh. only sees part of the picture. There is more to know. Oh, my God. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Trump uh, is either today or yesterday has started creating his list, his hit list, his revenge list, and Ray, who's in charge of the CIA or whatever. Uh, but but Trump's going to clear house. He's going to clean. No, a different W-R-A-Y. Uh, I think is that what he goes. Chris, oh, okay. Christopher, he should. It can't get any worse. Come on. I work really hard two days a week. The point is Trump has already started his uh, revenge list, revenge tour if you will. So so what do you make of all this? Now, you know that w- Trump might be the exception. We don't arrest presidents. We don't punish presidents. And we pretty much don't do the same thing to presidential candidates. So I ser- even though you're absolutely right, I seriously doubt anything is going to happen to Hillary, uh, maybe one of her underlings, but even then I would be shocked. Yeah, like it, it's like... It's got to be clear to anyone who's been following this and and isn't blinded by ideological concerns. Exactly, exactly. That the whole Russiagate scenario, and we talked about this for years and years and years on Mm -hmm. this show, Mm -hmm. made no sense from the get-go. It was uh, a huge beat-up that was created by the Clinton campaign in order to discredit Trump and the Trump campaign. And they actively uh, fed lies uh, and and this whole um, 
uh, narrative to mm-hmm. not only to the media and, and thereby to the American public, but to the FBI. And the FBI picked it up and ran with it. Yeah, they're the professionals. Treated Come on. it seriously, yeah. So yeah. either because they are inept, which is possible, right. or because they also wanted to damage Trump. There was no love mm. between the intelligence agencies and Trump, obviously. I can and see that. so... Uh, basically, what you you know the, the the quick version of the story is you had the Clinton campaign concoct fake stories about Trump and Russia uh, colluding, and right. got the basically unlimited support from the U.S. media and the U.S. intelligence agencies or the FBI predominantly to push this story uh, and and keep it going throughout the entirety yeah. of Trump's four year term as president. Uh, yeah. yeah, and people, you know, uh, people used to tell me all the time, "Where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's smoke, there's fire." There was no fire. Yeah, this the was smoke a was there the was smoke no was a, smoke. Well, it was a smoke machine created by the Clinton campaign. <laughs> turned on. Good one, good one. Yes, yes. The yeah. fact that this isn't this isn't the wall to wall news. Like the wall to wall news back in the day, twenty sixteen to twenty twenty, was Trump Russia Gate collusion. That was wall-to-wall yes. news. The fact yes. that this all turned out to be lies generated by the Clinton campaign, uh, supported by the FBI and the mainstream media, isn't wall-to-wall news because the media is not going to wall-to-wall news themselves out of the job, right? right? And, they're, and they're not going to support Trump. They're not going to attack Hillary because, you know, a lot of them are Democrats or left-leaning or whatever. But, uh, yeah, no, and he still won. That's how unpopular Hillary is, in case you were wondering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And nearly <laughs> beat Biden uh, in 2020 yes. as well. Yes, and is now yes. the lead, uh, you know, in the Republican uh, nominations is, for presidential candidates, by far the lead, right? If his ass, if his fat, pasty ass is not sitting in a jail cell, he will probably win the Republican nomination. It's insane. Yes. But, you know, like the, the fact that, all of this lying went on, and it's not the biggest story in the United States. Right. Like, like, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this? Who, who, who? Which heads are going to roll? How are we going to clean this up? It's just being buried, swept under yes. the rug. Nothing to delayed, see here. Exactly. Anyone who talks about it, like Glenn Greenwald or Matt Taibbi, yeah. is. Crazy. Uh, Crazy and attacked, and yeah. Putin's puppet, Trump's puppet. Speaking of Matt Taibbi, got to wrap this up. I got to go, but Matt Taibbi just did an article uh, today when he was coming out with the Twitter files at the end of mm-hmm. last year that was exposing uh, a lot of this information. Uh, coincidentally, right. uh, the IRS launched a case into him. <gasps> so Coincidence. He, yeah, he's got uh, an <laughs> IRS audit. Uh, on him at the same time as that he's launching this whole story about uh, manipulation of the Russia Gate, manipulation of yeah. the Hunter Biden laptop coverage during the 2020 election, et cetera, et cetera. Coincidence. He's being attacked by a government agency. Uh, yes. m- m- yeah. The, maybe That's it's legitimate, my- but maybe the right. timing of it is uh, yeah. deliberate too. Exactly. Which is why my real name is not Ray Harris. I I knew this was coming a long time ago. I can tell you you were a troublemaker. I've got an entire fake identity 
um, created my real name and don't tell anybody this is but naked. <laughs> anyway, I didn't and mean to end that, on a low point. I apologize. That's some stuff for you to think about over the next month. <laughs> yes, the serious stuff, not butt naked. Yeah. Uh, talk to you next time.